Welcome, friends, to episode 29 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, the audio portion of the website Banish to the Pen, a group baseball blog produced by fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball podcasts. This week, I am excited to be joined by two returning members of this podcast and very solid, strong members of the Banish to the Pen crew, Matt Jackson and Nick Stranges. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Well, first place we always start is uh, I'd like to have you guys reintroduce yourselves to the audience. Maybe people who are listening to this missed your appearance earlier. And, uh, you know, who you're a fan of, uh, Twitter handle, day job, if you want to share that. Just, you know, introduce yourselves. I'll start. uh, Let's go alphabetical order, I guess. Matt, uh, go ahead and get started. All right. uh, Well, Matt Jackson, resident of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Royals fan. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Sontague, that's J-A-C-K-S-O-N-T-A-I-G-U. And uh, I also write for Beyond the Box Score on the SB Network. Yeah, you do absolutely great work over there as well, so uh, definitely check that stuff, check out your work over there. Uh, Nick, kind of, same question. Oh, sure, my name is Nick Strangis. I live in Atlanta, I've been a Cubs fan for a long time, and then I also follow the Braves and the Twins and uh, I write for Benish to the Pen uh, most of the time when I'm not kind of on hiatus. And I um, am on Twitter at Caps Orphans. And uh, my tweets are protected right now, but I accept all non-bots. Uh, so. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm glad to have you guys back. Um, obviously, the topic this week is going to be trade deadline. We're just um, you know, 48, 72 hours away from... Uh, the trade deadline, just depending on when everybody's downloading. Um, probably one of the most chaotic trade deadlines in, I don't know, maybe in our lifetimes, it sounds like. So uh, first place I'm going to start, Matt, uh, you're a fan of the Royals. I think that's a good place to start. They made two you know, pretty significant trades. First, trading uh, for Johnny Cueto, giving up three lefties, uh, John Lamb, Cody Reed, and Brandon Finnegan, if I have that right. And then uh, also trading for Ben Zobris, giving up Sean Naya and another prospect. Um, first, as a fan and you know an educated fan as that, uh, what were your thoughts on the deal? Oh, that's very kind of you. Um, I I was excited about both of them. I, I Johnny Cueto. I mean, prior to the trade line deadline, I was a little bit worried about his elbow. So, um, you know, when somebody's been uh, had an elbow that's been barking for most of the year, you know, giving up three pretty solid prospects is a little bit daunting but once the drill deal was done you know just look forward and i was massively excited about it actually um his first start was here in toronto on friday so i actually was able to attend that in person which was pretty exciting a ton of kc fans were in the house normally i see five or six um compatriots when i'm there and this time there was uh you know maybe 100, 150 Royals fans that I saw in the you know the limited area that I was covering, so it was it was pretty exciting. And then the Ben Zobris deal, I mean, hard to imagine a trade that fits the team's need more right now um, with uh, Alex Gordon out with the um, groin injury, probably for another month or so. Um, having him spell him off in left field and then um, being able to take over for the atrocious almost all-star Omar Infante um, <laughs> will be will be pretty nice in the home stretch of the season and then you know hopefully into the playoffs as well 
I, I don't think anybody will deny that, you know, the Royals did, you know, basically as well as, I mean, you know, if you want to compare Toronto or what have you or Houston, but certainly the Royals were one of the biggest, you know, gainers at the deadline. On the other hand, they also gave up a lot. What has been, what is your thoughts on, you know, kind of the prospects they gave up and what has been the reaction of Kansas City's fan base? Are they overwhelmingly happy that they picked up two all-stars or are they concerned that they gave up, you know, five pitching prospects down the road? I don't think there's a ton of concern, um, at least from, you know, the people that I interact with. I write over at Royals Review uh, occasionally for um, on the SB Network as well. So, plug, plug. Um, <laughs> yeah, I talked to those guys quite a bit, and everybody was pretty happy about that deal. I mean, um, Finnegan, you know, uh, whether or not he can transition back into the role of starter remains to be seen. I think he'd be a really solid guy at the back end of the bullpen. Um but whether or not he could be a starter, eh, I've had my doubts since he was a, a Royals, um, well, I guess a, a Royals reliever in the postseason. Um, <laughs> John Lamb, I mean, if this was before this season, he would be just somebody you'd consider to be filler. He was super highly rated prospect um, a few years ago, and then he really dropped off uh, out of Tommy John surgery and, and his, you know, kind of floundered through recovery for a couple of years. And, uh, oh, sorry, that's me. <laughs> sorry. Either he really likes that. John Lamb or really does not yeah. like John yeah. Lamb. <laughs> One or the other. Anyway, John Lamb, uh, had he been traded prior to this year, I think he would have been considered just filler in the deal. But he's had a real renaissance, um, and he's been he's he's been incredible in AAA. And you know, we we're excited and kind of getting ready for him to come up and maybe join the rotation. Uh, this season, and if not in August, then certainly um, coming up and maybe pitching out of the bullpen in uh, in September. So, you know, that hurts because he's been in the he's been in the organization for a long time, and you kind of get attached to those guys. Especially um, by all counts, he's just a really great guy, um, a good teammate, and and so you know those are the kind of guys that are tough to lose. Cody Reed on the and on the other hand is you know he's. He's a, a real hit-or-miss kind of guy. He's got electric stuff, um, but whether or not he can really harness it moving forward remains to be seen. Um, yeah, I like Reed, personally. I saw him a couple times last year when he was, I, I guess, with Wilmington. And uh, big arm for a lefty. He might be a reliever, but uh, it's a pro arm for sure. Yeah, and so, I mean, it seems like he's gotten his walk rate under control um, a little bit more this season. Um, so... You know, it, it's tough to give up pitching prospects. That being said, the Royals have been awful at developing pitching prospects. I mean, uh, Danny Duffy and, and Jordano Ventura are still struggling this year. Um, so, you know, trading them for uh, a year of, of Cueto makes a lot of sense. And then the one that um, I was probably most disappointed about was losing Sean Manaya. Um, you know, they got such great value um, picking him up late. Um, because he, he had those injury problems um, at the time of the draft. Picking him up late, you know, he was kind of a steal, and then uh, and then he was pitching great um, in the minor leagues since joining the organization. So um, losing him was tough, um, but, you know, getting two and a half months of Ben Zobrist and, and Johnny Cueto uh, for a team that's got the record that they do, um, it means a lot. So, you know, it's exciting. Uh, I think... I was the first time I was on the podcast. I was saying I didn't I didn't think it would be the Royals' year this year, and they've 
in some ways overachieved quite a bit um, to get where they are now. I mean, there weren't a lot of people that picked them to be uh, up at the top of the American League this at this point in the season. So um, I think now's the time, you know, windows aren't open forever. So uh, you got to push them all to the center of the table at a certain point. Um, and I think this was the perfect point to do it. I couldn't be happier with both deals. And final question I have for you on the Royals is, uh, did they do enough to make it to the playoffs? Was was Cueto and Zobrist enough, or did they need to go get one more bat? Uh, I think they'll be fine making it to the playoffs. Um, you know, they've. I, I, I'm happy with the 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 batting order as it stands right now. I mean, it's Esky at the top of the batting order. You know when. Um, uh, sorry, Escobar at the bat- top of the batting order. When when uh, Gordon comes back, you know he'll be moving down, and um, Omar's bat will be out. So uh, Zobris is a pretty clear upgrade there. And their run differential this season's been, you know, second to or third to the Blue Jays most of the year. So um, I think the blend of, of strong starting pitching now with Cueto, um, hopefully seeing some you know, improved performances from the rest of the rotation, um, particularly Duffy and Ventura. Um, paired with Zobers, that I think they've definitely got enough to make a run um, through the playoffs again this year. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask yeah, go ahead, Matt, I mean, if, if you can remember, is this like the biggest crop of talent the Royals have traded for in a while? It just seems like, you know, they'll do like a big deal for Shields, say, and then they'll kind of piece it together with some other guys, like picking up Aoki. But to get an all-star, you know, MVP candidate in Zobrist, you know, at least in past years. And then you pick up Cueto, you pick up an ace in the same, you know, week. Uh, I, I can't think of the Royals making like a big of a splash in a while. I don't know if you guys uh, just off the top of your heads can think of anything uh, that stands out. Maybe I'm just missing something, but it just seemed like they really reached this time in, in a way I hadn't seen them in the past. Um, yeah, uh, well, definitely. I, I can't remember... Um, anything like this happening before kind of in my um, period as a as a particularly involved fan um, I mean the, so the the um, shields trade was huge and really exciting when that happened um, maybe not such a pleasurable excitement I mean it <laughs> ended up working out but I think that the fan base was pretty upset when the trade was made thinking about what they were giving up and and you know it's worked out well because will Myers has struggled uh, Odorizzi's been good. Uh, Mike, Mon- Mike Montgomery's been great with um, the Mariners, but you know he got flipped for uh, Erasmo Ramirez, I think, um, prior to this year. So uh, he, he's kind of uh, like a second order away. So you, you don't count his success so much <laughs> yeah. as being part of that trade. Well, um, and Wade Davis was in there too. Has become oh, yeah, yeah, he's great, great. one of the best yeah. eight relievers that- in baseball. That really came out of nowhere too. I don't think. I mean, he started out in the rotation and, and stunk it up. So um, coming out of the gate, that trade wasn't quite as exciting. The only other one that I can kind of think of, and this was another selling move, but what built a lot of the core of this team is the Zach Greinke move. Yeah, so, that's a good um, call as well. Green Kane and and Escobar and uh, JJ Jeffress, uh, Jeremy Jeffress. Uh, there was a I can't remember everybody right off the top of my head, but. Um, that was a trade that, you know, it stung again seeing um, the face of the franchise leave, but the returns really set them up um, and made the trade that this deadline 
kind of a possibility and, or um, something that made sense because the, the core of the team that they acquired in that trade has been performing so exceptionally. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree. So, Nick, let me let me kind of tag you in sure. here a little yeah, no bit because I, I, I want to stick with the uh, AL Central. Uh, you're a Twins fan, as you said. Uh, a little surprising, maybe to a degree, at least from you know an outsider's point of view. Here, big the only trade they made was getting uh, Kevin Jepson for a couple of prospects I frankly haven't heard of before. Uh, just your thoughts on? Let me start with the Twins season. It's been a little surprising, I would say, is a fair way to put it. And so your thoughts on the season and then your thoughts on them at the trade deadline. Yeah, I was as surprised as anybody about – I think they've gotten just really lucky. I think the numbers show that. Um, the run differential has been really, really bad. Um, it would be a little bit silly for them to say chase um, you know, the Royals at this point because hopefully what this shows is they understand that there's a lot of luck, a lot of sequencing involved in what's happened for them this year. And they know, I think they've got to know that good things are ahead. And when you're on the cusp like this, I just don't know if it's the best thing for a team to sell the farm, make ill-advised trades. When you're not really one move away from competing, you need Buxton, you need Sano, you need these guys to kind of prove that they can be the players they're going to be, give them another year or so. Uh, But, I mean, I kind of like Jepsen. He, He... I guess has been a little inconsistent. You know, walk rate has bounced around a lot. Um, it's funny though. I guess he's should be at least now reunited with his old pitching coach from Tampa, who is now the pitching coach for the Twins, Neil Allen. Right. So he was, yeah, clo- he coached in Tampa. He was AAA. So he, I don't know if there's an inside track there between Allen and Jepson. Hopefully, he can get him to be the best version of himself because the Twins uh, are still. You know, their entire bullpen is made up of guys that strike out five batters per nine innings and um, <laughs> don't have exactly elite walk rates to go along with it. Um, I mean, they're getting some help with Trevor May going back in the bullpen um, and uh, with Irvin Santana coming back into the, the rotation. But it's it's going to be interesting how they hold out. And I guess, you know, Sano continues to hit. And if Buxton comes back and he's does well and... Rosario does well, and they've still got Arcia, who's had this crazy, horrible year, uh, both in the bigs, and now he's in AAA. Uh, if he turns things around, you've got a bat later in the season that could come up. So I have no idea what to make of them, but I I, I think they made a, a, a good decision in, in holding back a little bit. Just You see what the worst part of the team is, the bullpen, uh, the offense might be smoke and mirrors, and the rotation isn't terrible. I mean, if... Uh, these guys are turning things around. If Gibson, you know, his strikeout rate has climbed every month pretty much. Uh, if he's finally become the Kyle Gibson that we hope he could become, then your rotation looks a lot better going forward. And the, the question is, I guess, just where are the bats going to come from? So address the bullpen, let the bats develop, and hopefully this won't just be a fluke, you know, in, in the future. So um, like you said, the, the prospects, the guy that, Twins fans that the uh, rabbit twins fans were sad about losing was uh, who? Uh, so I guess I don't know how to say his name exactly. Uh, Chi Wei Hugh. And I think Callie McDaniel had him as like a 45 future value prospect. So uh, maybe just kind of a back in the rotation guy. Um, he's an A ball. So I, I, I never not get sad stay. about losing. Yeah, that's a not going to average. Yeah, below average A ball player. 
you're not going to cry over that. If he turns into something, it's a big surprise. This isn't the Cubs trading Chris Archer for Matt Garza <laughs> and then really needing Chris Archer after Matt Garza leaves the Cubs. <laughs> it's a different story than what I experienced as a Cubs fan back when that happened. So uh, it's a little different story. I'm, I'm comfortable with the pace of the Twins building at this point. I don't know if I was that way before the season. I was really kind of down on them for signing Santana to this big deal and, and giving up the draft pick for it. And, uh, and that leads into kind of my final question f- with you about the Twins. It's just where are you and the fan base with the organization right now? I think, like you said, maybe six months ago or the last time I had you on the show or you were on the show, mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a feeling of why do we sign Santana? We're probably going to be one of the two, three, four worst teams in the American League this year. Now, fast forward six months, you know, Sano's getting healthy. Buxton's made an appearance in the majors. It's been a relatively successful year at the major league level, too. Where's the fan base? Where are you and the fan base? I am I'm probably more pessimistic than everybody else because I worry about some of the decision-making in the front office, like signing Santana. Uh, I, I didn't really agree with signing Phil Hughes. He's, he's the kind of guy I guess you should take a chance on. But I don't know if he was the guy in particular I would have taken a shot on. I think there's always a lot of guys with upside in free agency. I don't see the Twins pursuing them. I mean, even like Chris Young, uh, some people are surprised by his continued success. But he's found a thing that works, and he's been using it for a while, which is the high fastball uh, that he can locate really well. And I wish they would sign more guys like that, take some more chances rather than going off and just getting a guy like Santana that had like an average ERA last year. May have even been a tick. It was just a tick above or below average. So I want to see him not just bet on ERA, um, not just hope that Phil Hughes is going to continue to have historically good strikeout-to-walk ratios, um, but take some chances, and that's what I want to see in the future. I think most Twins fans, though, are just living in the moment and loving every minute of it. I was there, I told Ryan this before the podcast a couple weeks ago, and uh, they beat up on the Yankees. It was like an 11-run ball game. The house was packed. Uh, People were excited, and it was a great atmosphere. And uh, especially for them, this is fantastic to have a new ballpark and be able to win a little bit and carry the the initial excitement of now we've got Target Field into now we've got a, a winning team at Target Field. Uh, is going to be, I think, great for the team. And so hopefully that kind of puts money in the pockets, you know, the right people in the right place and opens them up a little bit to uh, make some things happen. And and so for me, this is just a great baseline. If they can just stay above 500, um, if they go to the playoffs, I think it's going to be awesome. I mean, I've got my Homer Hanky from 91 <laughs> and 87 on the wall here, and I, I will definitely break those out along with my 1991 uh, World Series champion Minnesota Twins T-shirt. I have that waiting in a drawer. It's just sitting there. So along with uh, your Kent Herbeck jersey, yeah, yeah, it's there somewhere. He's yeah, a longtime favorite. It, being in Atlanta, living here is is a weird world's collide because people down here hate Kent Herbeck, and I, I love the guy. He's just he's the best. So yeah, that's uh, you know, that's I guess how things are going for the Twins. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of funny thinking about where the Twins are this year and and comparing it to where the Royals were last year. I mean, the Royals at the trade deadline were I think three and a half games out of a wild card um, berth. I think it was around that anyway. And they had maybe two teams to clear. And uh, everyone was calling on more to break it up at that point. You know, sell uh, Shield and whatever else wasn't nailed down and, and you know, <laughs> admit his failure from the uh, the Tampa Bay trade and, and move on. 
and obviously that didn't work out as everyone including myself kind of expected um, what did it feel like to be a Royals fan last year I mean were you all um, like excited at this point about the success of the team you know not quite being there yet but but having a good season was it was it uh, I don't know, were you pessimistic how did you feel about things after, like right right uh, right after the deadline or like right around the yeah, right around this time when they didn't sell and and uh, I was kind of went for it. I was pissed. <laughs> I, I thought it was time to rip it up. I mean, I was right there with Dave Cameron and you know a lot of other analysts um, saying that you know he he more uh, should have admitted his mistake and you know kind of the same things we're saying about Prowler today. But um, what I was going to say is just the I don't think if they were in the same position today as they. Um, uh, without having been to the World Series last year, I don't think that Moore would be uh, dialing it up for Zobrist and, and Cueto. I think that he'd be a little bit more conservative. But I think having been to the World Series really energized the fan base and the front office as well to take another swing at it. And, uh, and you know, I was just thinking that Minnesota, kind of on a similar tra- trajectory to the one the Royals were on with promising prospects and, you know, some veterans um, insulating them. I I could see something similar happening next year for the for the Twins, you know, standing path this year. Maybe make it to the playoffs, maybe you don't, but um generating that excitement around the team that um spurs the front op, uh front office on to, you know, making bigger waves at future trade trade deadlines. Yeah, I guess I'm a little hopeful that with there's just seems to be a ton of talent going into free agency this year in a lot of places and so maybe some guys kind of slip to them. Um, you know, maybe some players you'll see some surprises as far as well. You know, all the kind of big money free agents suck up the resources and and end up with the teams that need them, and then the the Twins luck into a couple guys. Um, hopefully that that'll be the case. So we'll we'll have to wait and see, I guess. But I, I think uh, you're making a great point, Nick. There are going to be some guys and Matt the same. There's going to be a few guys that are left without dance partners, and, and are going to have to take. You know, all of a sudden, Irvin Santana was looking around a little bit and then got a big contract. I think you're going to see – I think you guys are making a great point. I think you'll see the same thing this winter. Yeah, hopefully for them. And like I said, you know, being a, a Cubs fan and, and living here in Atlanta, um, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a, a weird offseason, I think, again. I don't think it's going to it, – maybe it's more free agents than, than trades, but I, I can't remember the league being as active as it's been recently in terms of moving, you know, big talent around. So – um, I hate to say, like, I'm looking, just sitting here looking forward to the offseason because there's a lot lot to happen left, but it's it's going to be really fascinating. But And, and Nick, let me uh, use this as a good transition point because I, you mentioned living in Atlanta, and I've got to ask you what Atlanta did at the deadline because they had one of the more uh, peculiar, uh, illogical, maybe, maybe too strong, <laughs> but... Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand their, the trade that they made with the Dodgers and the Marlins. I understood it from the Marlins' perspective. I got it from the Dodgers' perspective. But uh, giving up Peraza, who I'm pretty high on maybe more than most, giving up a mid-rotation starter in Wood and two solid relievers and getting back a 30-year-old AAA player, sure, he, that undersells him greatly. <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on the deal? And, and kind of what are, your, what are the thoughts with Atlanta at the deadline? I think a lot of Braves fans are just a little confused. They liked Wood. They understood the risk uh, with that delivery that it could be an injury risk. It could be a risk of – I don't want to compare him to Hibaldo Jimenez, but when you have a weird delivery, you worry that a guy's going to have it one season and then not be able to do it the next season. Um, 
And so with Wood, and he's still he's effective, but he's not a guy who puts up great strikeout numbers. He doesn't have excellent control. So I think you know his his he makes more sense for the Dodgers than he does for the Braves, obviously, where they just need a guy at the back of the rotation. And I think that's really what to me Wood kind of profiles as is he's a three at best. Um, if Zach Greinke is the model for the number two, the elite pitcher that just is missing something or you know one thing or another in different different seasons. So you know, talking in terms of the Kevin Goldstein, there are ten aces mindset, and then Greinke is your your model for the number two. You know, would to me anyway at best number three. Um, you know, and I think what the Braves are doing is they're just trying to pack as much high upside talent as they can. Uh, this is very different from what we saw earlier in the offseason. So right away they signed Nick Marcakis and Zoila Monte and uh, Johnny Gomes, and it was like, what the heck is going on? And then suddenly they pivoted, and in the last six months they got Maven, Uribe, now uh, Oliveira, and um, you know Tuki Chassant is uh, just a lot of guys that I think they feel can be stars. And I'm, I'm all for that. If you're not competing... It, you don't want to take too much of a risk. And I mean, maybe that's what you see with Oliveira is that he is uh, 30 years old. There's been some injury questions with him. And we'll see, I guess, because hopefully he'll be up by the end of this year. But I, I guess for one, I'm, I'm not like thrilled with Alex Wood if they got a chance to get a star for him. I think that's how they feel about him. You know, they were chasing Oliveira till the, till the last minute until the Dodgers just put up too much money for him. And then they got the Dodgers to take care of the money that they couldn't pay him, and now they can pay him the remaining contract that he has. Um, for me, Peraza is just the riskiest of risky prospects. I mean, I'm looking at you know a sub uh, four walk rate, pretty much in the minors, maybe if that. Um, you know, doesn't keep the strikeouts down so much. Uh, to me, he's just kind of a fast guy, and I—I I, granted, I haven't seen him play in person, so uh, you probably have a more informed opinion of him. Uh, I hate to just stat, you know, do stat scouting on the guy. No, no, but, you, but you're he, there. he concerns me a lot. That's I mean, my worry is that he would just end up as a slap hitter who runs fast. I mean, and, I, I think I you know. nailed it yeah. with him though. He doesn't have any power, and yeah. he doesn't walk that much. He's got a, what I would put as is a really solid hit tool plus whatever you want to rate okay. it. And he's going to be a really good defender at second. He would be a, yeah. probably an above-average shortstop. So, so you figure he's going to be the second baseman for the Dodgers, maybe in the near future. I mean, is that because Howie think, Kendrick is? I think maybe he's the on. shortstop for them next year with Rollins moving on, unless I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, and, oh yeah, see, it could be Seager, Seager. though. Yeah, Seager. Although uh, I don't know, Seager's probably a third baseman long term for me. But could be a. But you, you got you're making yeah. a good point. That probably anyway, is the yeah. plan. Yes. Uh, I anyway yeah. So anyway, I, I hate to be down on on anybody I haven't you know seen in person. Um, so I I guess what I like too about the Oliveira pickup is that now the infield for next year is solidified this year. So it's you know it's set, and I, I like the guys they've got. I think you know they still got a. Look at a lot of big holes. You know, catcher is is maybe not going to be Bethencourt. Um, so the question is, where do they get a catcher from? Um, it's not a position you can easily just go find. Um, now they have another hole in the pitching staff, but they have a ton of arms. So I guess from their perspective, they have you know a million arms that could be the fourth, fifth starter. Um, 
and maybe they go sign a veteran, you know, to to kind of solidify the middle of rotation and take a look at, um, you know, guys they have. Let me play Johnny negative here, and, and yeah. but it seems like they gave up a number. Let's let's call him a number four. I think Wood is is pretty fair. Sure, Two solid sure. bullpen guys and yeah. a, a questionable top fifty prospect, and and what they get back is a wrong side of thirty third baseman who's still in Triple A. Well, and yeah, it seems like because he took him a while to come. No, and and I know, US, and he'd start yeah. for 28 teams right now, and he'd be yeah. in the majors. I, I, I'm like I said, I'm underselling I him, you. but it still seems like if the Braves are targeting 2017 as their date, they just traded for a guy that should be, in theory, out of his prime when they are trying to be good again. It just it seems like an interesting player to target, or a peculiar player to target as kind of the top player in a deal like that. Yeah, and this, it, I, I get what you're saying. The same year that they, uh, you know, bought a prospect in Tucson and and just spent money to get him, basically, um, which was a beautiful trade. And, and sure, like you sure. said, they've been so good since you know maybe the Johnny Gomes signing. It seems like every move they've made, I've been oh wow, Braves are really starting to turn it around. Or they're really yeah, getting. I, it. I I've been kind of in love with the front office ever since that you know since the weird signings happened. Ever since then, they've been targeting. Players, I think that are going to be, you know, pretty good. Um, that they're really building a team that it's uh, creative how they're working. It reminds me of other front offices, you know, like a Billy Bean or or Andrew Friedman, something like that, where they're just flipping guys around and and finding talent. So picking up Juan Uribe and Cameron Maben, um, you know, Uribe we don't you know think of maybe as an elite third baseman, but the last couple of years when he's been hitting, he's been great and Maben. I think I've always had the wrong idea about him because he's a speedy, rangy center fielder. But then you go look at him, and he's like—I think he's like six four, maybe. Yeah, he's a um, tank. He's a big he's huge. guy. Yeah, yeah, and he runs fast. I mean, I can't believe how much of an athlete he looks like on the field. I finally got to see him play this year, and you know, he's hitting well. If he can just keep going, like keep that guy around. But it, it is a little odd. Like now you've got a thirty-year-old third baseman, thirty-one really when he's going to be playing a full season he better be good <laughs> or right. else they're going to yes. look, look a little silly um so uh yeah i get what you're saying and i'm sure from the nationals perspective you want to see the braves uh you know burn up in a fire as much as possible so <laughs> <laughs> more just their fans frankly actually no i'm just kidding although their fans are tough but uh yeah uh matt any questions for nick before we kind of jump off the braves no, I, that was super comprehensive. I've taken notes, man. That was good stuff. Oh, thanks. Well, I try. Well, you knocked that one out of the park. So uh, let's transition, if we can, off teams and kind of talk about some of the big players that were moved. Uh, goodness, I don't, where should we start? Let's start with Cole Hamels. I think, um, I don't know who, we want, who wants to start, but I think we've been talking about Hamels getting traded for a long time now. I think the Rangers have been one of the, I don't know, three or four most mentioned teams, Boston, Houston. Dodgers, name the others. Kind of your thoughts on Hamels and the talent they got back. I I thought the Phillies did pretty well. Um, Who wants to start? Matt, Matt, let me tag you in, man. It's been Nick's time for a little bit. Sure, yeah. Um, Well, it was fun to see a trade made where, you know, people were lauding Ruben Navarro Jr. rather than mocking him. And uh, like I mentioned to you guys before, not, not a as big a prospect hound as either of you guys are, but um, even I was recognizing uh, the players in that deal to be a pretty terrific haul um, for one pitcher. I mean, team controlled as long as he is. 
Uh, and it's kind of, uh, I mean, for the uh, for the Rangers, eight games out of the division, where are they in the wild card right now? Two and a half games out of the wild card. So, you know, it's not exclusively a trade for tomorrow. It's, um, they've got, you know, they've, they, they've still got their eye on the prize for this year, and they've got a ton of talent in the organization still, um, despite, you know, you Darvish being out for the season. They've still got... Uh, Prince Fielder and uh, and <laughs> Elvis Andrews, Rufnet or Rufnet Odor, uh, Josh Hamilton, like they've they've still got a decent amount of talent in the system, and and they can make a run at this this year. So um, I I love the trade from both sides. I love I love big trades, but I like trades with multiple multiple lever, layers too. So and this is one of those trades that at least for Texas seems to have multiple layers. And then for Philly, you know it's glad to see that they didn't wind up holding on to everybody the way they were threatening to earlier on in this uh well i guess in the off season uh threatening you know not to move anybody um (laughs) it's good to see them rebuilding and it's you know it's nice when someone who we're used to mocking does something that puts us back on our heels a little bit so um same way um we're kind of we people have come around on dayton more in the last few years the last year and a half, I guess. Um, you know, people maybe they'll come around on uh, on on uh, on Ruben Amaro Jr. and you know maybe McPhail will have room for him in his front office when uh, this season's all said and done. Because I think um, I think at least this deadline he uh, he made some moves that will seriously improve his team, and I you always kind of hope that the GM gets to stick around to see that happen because. I think you've so been jumping into the Molson tonight. I think you've been jumping in a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but it is, like you say, it is interesting to see Amaro getting credit when uh, he's been kind of the butt of all jokes for the last year or two. Uh, Nick, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, like Matt said, it's really exciting to see prospects that you know move because that means they're pretty highly touted. So at least um, you always would hope that it. GM can do at least as well as the internet could do in a trade. So <laughs> by getting Alfaro and, and some of the other guys that he got from I mean even like Matt Harrison, if he stays if his arm stays on his body, if his shoulder or elbow don't explode again, you've got a solid pitcher there that it's not Cole Hamels, but a guy that's worth keeping around uh in the near future. And um yeah, it's pretty exciting. I think it actually, though, it's funny. Yeah, the Rangers playoff odds. I was just playing around at BP, and they actually have moved up a little bit in the last couple of days. So maybe that has something to do with you know bringing on Cole Hamels, and they're not dead yet. They've got a, uh, I guess, right around ten percent chance to get into the playoffs on their little playoff odd tracker on BP. So um, I'll be curious. You know, maybe they're the, the Royals of last year. You know, uh, a higher impact player in terms of trades that they brought in, but if they can get on a run here, they're, they're not out of it yet for sure. And we haven't seen Josh Hamilton go on a crazy couple of week streak that he seems to do when he's healthy every year. And he can just carry a team for a couple of weeks when he gets hot. Maybe he's a little too old now or, you know, whatever's going on with him now, but Hey, you could get a, a little late career bounce out of Hamilton. It, w- it probably wouldn't surprise anybody if, if you're being realistic, he's still a, you know, big guy. He's still pretty somewhat fit, I guess, if he stays healthy. Is yeah, he- I, I fully expect for him to turn it on for, uh, like you said, uh, Ryan 
two, three, four weeks. I think he's still got that in him. I mean, I don't think it goes away so quickly. And he's had a tumultuous uh, several months, you know. Once that cools down a little bit and um, his shoulder's feeling better and, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all for him to go on a little run, you know, hit 10 homers in a month or something like that. Yeah, I agree. But uh, back to Matt's point, I was teasing him a little bit, but I think Amaro did really well in this trade, and I think maybe the lesson to be learned in this is sometimes when the public thinks one thing and is so confident about, well, they should deal him, they can't do any better, this is what they need to do, maybe the GMs know a little more than we do on the outside because I don't know that this, and I don't know that it wasn't, but that's quite a haul to get six players for two. Yeah, and, and what was he saying too? He he wanted five solid prospects. And he, I think it was what and, he was saying the whole time. And I mean, he pretty much got it. I, I mean, um, I know they had to Matt take Harrison. on. I mean, like you say, they had to take on Harrison. They had to put in a little money with Hamels. But you know, Alfaro's got a chance to be a really good catcher. Nick Williams has got the best swing I've seen in the minor leagues in the last five years. It's absolutely beautiful his swing. I mean, you put it up next to Will Clark, and it might be sexier than his. And that's that's the kind of swing you're talking about. Uh, Asher's a heck of a pitcher. I like him a lot. Uh, the other name that's escaping me is a mid, mid-rotation mid starter, Jackson, I believe, the guy they got from Detroit. Uh, Eichhoff, or whatever his name is, that's another back-end starter. Maybe Harrison stays healthy for a little bit, and they deal him for a prospect or two this time next year, and all of a sudden you're talking about maybe an 8-for-2 trade that this was. So you just don't see these kind of hauls these days, and – to clear, I don't know, $55, $60 million, get six cost control prospects and 36 years of control of those players. I mean, you got to give him credit because I think he really, he may have saved his job with this deal. It was that good. Yeah, and um, I mean, that's what people always say is that uh, the hesitance to deal a, a starting pitcher like Cole Hamels, who you still have for several years is um that you you know you'll never live to see the prospects you trade for so um from that single individual's point of view you know what's the point in making these trades when (laughs) if i could start winning a little bit more i might be able to keep my job if i blow it up and uh you know most fans 95 96 percent of fans don't know these guys from adam and won't recognize them when they come up so um what's what's the point in making these deals when i could just you know, marginally improve my team uh, and and hopefully keep my job. And, you know, it'd be nice to see him stick around and, uh, you know, at, at least for all the AL, other uh, NL East uh, teams, I'm sure they'd be rooting for it too. But sounds like maybe we've got a consensus on that. And, and, and I'll throw in, I think he did well in the Papelbon deal to Washington. I know, you know, a little close to home with me, but... Uh, yeah, how, do you like the, how do you like that from, I guess, looking at it from the Phillies' perspective? Uh, I saw Nick Pavetta pitch in person probably 10 days ago when people are listening to this, so just a week before the trade. And he wasn't very good that day, the results-wise, but uh, big kid, 6'5", 220, 230. Uh, big fastball, was sitting 92 on my radar gun, touched 95. Uh, slider's not real good. Um, Change-up shows some promise. I, I think he's a 4 or 5, and I, think, and I mean that in a good way, not in a pejorative way. I mean, he's a major league starting pitcher, and... If things don't go his way, maybe he's a seventh inning guy, but I definitely think he's a major league pitcher. And to, I guess they had to take on Papelbon's salary for this season, but they're not going to have to pay him $13 million next year in a rebuild. Didn't have to take on any of that money. I think both teams won. I think the Nationals did well to get another pitcher, and 
not give up something that's going to bite them in the butt in the future. And I think the Phillies did well to add another arm to that system. Yeah, they're probably going to need to go out and get, you know, their Cliff Lee or their Cole Hamels that they don't have now. But, you know, like we said, they got a couple of guys in the Cole Hamels deal. They got another arm here. They picked up Lively for Marlon Bird in the offseason. I just, I think Amaro's starting to do a pretty decent job, you know, just in the last, you know, whether it's you want to start this week or just in the last six months, I think he's done a pretty nice job. And you don't have to deal with Papelbon either, which is, by all yeah. accounts, you know, he's a real treat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He sounds like one of those guys that if he's if he's on your team, you really like him, and if he's on the other team, you really don't like him. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's feuded with both his general, well, not, I, mean, I think it was more of a joke with uh, with Epstein when Theo was around in uh, Boston. They were always kind of going at each other. But, um, again, with Amaro, man, he was just lighting him up in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, you know, he's he's seems like he's the kind of guy that will say the wrong thing to the media on a pretty regular basis. It <laughs> just doesn't seem like a – I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe he's a great guy. Maybe he's a great teammate. But um, his the way he's at least um, – what way he's portrayed by the media is, is not – I would say less than a class act. He definitely could come off better. That That's um, the nice way of putting it. <laughs> and speaking of coming off pretty well, anyway, Drew Storen, I mean, he made his comments about talking to his agent and, and everything. Is anything, you're closer to the team than I am, Ryan. What's up with Drew? Is he kind of uh, resigned himself to his eighth inning role, or is he still going to put up a fight? Maybe will we see him moved at the non-waiver? deadline no i i think they sat down with his agent a couple days ago right after the trade and and i i don't have this from first hand knowledge but i think what happened was is basically you you have no choice so pitch this year and we'll trade you in the offseason is probably what will happen mm, yeah uh, he's i and, mean and he's under contract for one more year he already has 29 saves booked if he goes and pitches another 20 good innings this year at in the eighth inning there's no reason that he's not going to get nine or ten million dollars in arbitration in his final year, and they'll trade him to a team that that wants to use him as a closer and probably will sign him for, you know, three or four years. You know that Houston Street kind of contract that's out there. So that would yeah. be my conjecture: is they're not going to pay nine million dollars to a setup man. We just saw them deal Tyler Clippard, you know, last December. Kind of the same idea; they just weren't going to pay their guy that much money. I always kind of I've always liked Drew Storen, and I was felt for him after his you know unfortunate playoff experience he's a very and, uh, very good guy yeah and i was excited to see him back in the role you know he, he was kind of a a nice he was a good he was a feel-good story and then to see him uh in a season where he's pitching so well in the ninth inning to see him get done like that was a little tough uh but you know i'm sure they had their reasons you know, the, making that bullpen, if everything works out right, having Storen and Papelbon as your eighth and ninth is very strong. So whether or not it'll Nets, work out and go smoothly is another question. But yeah. Do the Nets have any uh, sort of late-inning guys in waiting uh, that are close to the majors, Ryan, that, that you can think of? Or not, it seems like they've, you know, been drafting kind of in the back of the first round for a while. They've made some trades. Like how, how is that working out for them? Do they have some guys in waiting that can kind of take over and bolster things next year? Uh, they have a lot, a fair amount of talent, more than you would think in their minor league system, but not for relief pitching. They re- mm-hmm. Barrett, you've seen up some this year. He's you know kind of been up for the last year or two. Is really the only guy that I would point to. Matt Grace is a left-handed reliever that is at AAA and might be a matchup guy. Felipe Rivero, 
frankly, has broken out this year. The lefty, our second lefty in the bullpen, is a young guy we got for uh, Nate Carnes from Tampa Bay a couple of years ago in that Jose Lobaton trade. It, he looks like a real promising arm. But to answer your question, no, they have a lot of depth in their system, but they have some starting pitching. They have some middle infield, a couple outfielders here and there. But, uh, yeah, they don't have any relievers sitting around where you're saying, okay, this guy can slot in in the next couple of years and be, this is going to be our seventh inning guy, this is going to be our closer kind of thing. They don't have that in the system. So maybe some trades happening. Uh, if, if Storm goes away, maybe bringing back some guys or something. Or I, I think that's agency. – And Casey Jansen has a option on his contract, if I remember correctly. He's been pitching pretty well for us since he's been back and healthy. He may slot in as the eighth inning guy next year and – Maybe they try the same philosophy of just going with a bunch of cheap guys. If it works, great. If it doesn't, then you go make a trade or two at the trade deadline like they've done, you know, they did this year and other years. So uh, one other team I want to talk about uh, and and cover is Toronto. Um, Probably the most active team at the trade deadline, certainly the the headliners, getting both David Price and Troy Tulowitzki. Maybe I'll start with Matt because, you know, Toronto's your backyard, so to speak. Um, were you as surprised as I was, and I think most of baseball, to see them not just make one big deal, but two mega deals? Yeah, I mean, the David Price deal was the more predictable of the two. Um, their starting rotation has been, uh, I think, fairly well documented, their struggles. Um, I mean, Dickey's been pitching better over the last uh, few starts. Um, same with Burley. Um, so you know it's not all is not lost in the starting rotation, but adding um, David Price really helps their chances to make a run for the wild card and and, and possibly even the East. Um, but the too low trade, I mean, that for me came out of nowhere. I woke up in the middle of the night and kind of just checked my phone to see um, you know what was happening and and saw some uh, tweets and and messages and and other um, you know instant messaging applications buzzing about the trade I just was absolutely floored and to do it I mean giving up Jeff Hoffman um, makes sense but uh, from Colorado's point of view but um, taking on Jose Reyes I fully expected him to be flipped um, eating the cash for prospects um, you know just trying to load up on even more arms and, and maybe some position prospects for the rebuild that's obviously happening, but um, to see them, I guess um, I, I just assumed that there was another deal in the works for um, Reyes that they'd be able to flip him around for. Uh, to see them keeping him is surprising. I mean, he's due way less money overall than Tulo, but over, the difference over the next uh, two or three years isn't that significant. Their salaries are fairly comparable. I think uh, Reyes is making $20 million for a couple years anyways. Um, so, yeah, to see them take on Reyes, who's, I mean, he's not dead. He's still a decent player. I mean, his defense is poor. His offense has been, you know, declining pretty steadily over the last couple of years, but he still um, plays, he still, still plays decent enough with the lack of depth at the position league-wide that, you know, he's a viable starting stop, shortstop for um, well, and several other teams. And I, maybe they're trying to pump up his value at two and a half months in Colorado in that <laughs> offensive environment and then deal him in the offseason. That's good, yeah. I'm not sure that you... Um, I'm just thinking out turn, loud, but... Yeah, maybe they'll turn the humidor off for his at-bats. 
Um, or have but, special baseballs. Like, okay, these are actually like legitimate rather than the humidor balls. That yeah, would be great. Jose's balls. Make sure we throw them to Jose. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think probably most GMs would be wise to that. If he hits like 20 home runs over the rest of the season, <laughs> I think they would see him coming. But um, I, I was just, I was really surprised by that. And, you know, I know a few Rockies fans and it's just kind of where you just want to give them a hug and say, I'm <laughs> sorry. Like, that's just, it's just awful losing your franchise player like that and for um you know i mean jeff hoffman i think will be good but aside from that there's there's no sure thing in that package um so to lose him under those circumstances is just you know it's a blow and it's tough um it's a market that i'd love to see them get back to the world series sometime it was it was a lot of fun in 2008 uh, Nick, your thoughts? Because I was I was curious once they made the Tulo trade that they didn't then sell cargo at the same time. Sure, and I wonder if teams just aren't buying into cargo the way they buy into Tulowitzki. Um, I don't know if I do. Um, Cargo's got the also the injury bug, but not quite as valuable. You know, kind of left field only guy. Um, it's. Uh, yeah, it's a little surprising they didn't just take what they could and then cut and run if you're going into rebuilding mode. But if you're bringing back Jose Reyes, I just feel like I feel bad also, you know, to get what Matt was saying, I feel bad for Rockies fans because they're this team that's in this constant state of purgatory of not really buying, not really selling, not really getting better anyway. Uh, and the question is, what are they doing? You know, where is this all going? So... I really, I guess the question I wanted to ask you guys, and, and I hope this doesn't sound insane, but uh, Ryan Howard, okay, so he's owed $35 million guaranteed right now. So 25 next year, $10 million buyout. And Jose Reyes is owed a little over 40 I want to say, uh, guaranteed over the next couple of seasons. So if the Rockies were to call up the, the Phillies and say, we've got a shortstop, J.P. Crawford. First, like who, yeah. who says no? I mean, it's probably a completely ridiculous trade idea because you want prospects for these guys. You want to get rid of the money. But if both these teams are like, yeah, we want to win soon. You know, we want to get back into it. What can we do? And what, I mean, I was just looking at that. Like, I, I wonder if they actually – you think about Ryan Howard in Colorado? Um I don't know. I'll just, uh, it, I, I think Philly hangs up the phone immediately because they, they don't want to block forget about it. J.P. Crawford that is relatively close to the majors, probably yeah. 2016, and I wouldn't think they want to block him. But I like your I, yeah. I like the idea. I yeah. do think I was, I was actually thinking that Colorado would say no to that because it's uh, Howard's problem isn't making strong contact. He's still I think top 10 exit average exit velocity in the bigs. His problem is just making contact at all, and um, you. Swing and misses uh, are just as bad in Colorado as they are anywhere else. I mean, maybe the ball's a little bit flatter and it's not moving around quite as much with the um, lighter air, so maybe he'd be able to see it a little bit better in Colorado, but he's still hitting the ball pretty hard. He's just, it's when he does hit it that it goes far. It's just, it's not, the problem is that he just doesn't make contact. And uh, back to the cargo point, uh, I think I heard that they were taking him off the table. I mean, um, He'd hit uh, ten home runs this month. Yeah, I mean he's been playing great the last. He's been playing great, and I think they, I think they said they were holding on to him. I, I think that um, it was a conscious decision, not a lack of interest, but or you know they could have just been covering up for a lack of interest, obviously. But um, it seems like 
the decision to not trade him when was a was a willful one. And that kind of goes back to the point that Nick was making of it feels like they're in this perpetual cycle of rebuilding and not rebuilding at the same time. If you're going to rebuild and sell too low, why are you bringing Reyes back? Why are you not trading Cargo? Why are you not, you know, getting rid of Rosario and and just you know, you know, burning it to the ground kind of thing and building around you know the few pieces they have in the minors. Yeah, I mean yeah. they need pitchers like Gray. I guess Gray is going to come up uh, soon. I just saw earlier. Yeah, but, he's, uh, he's on his way. They, yeah, so you you need like three of those guys if you want to. Although, I, who do the they build the around? I mean, that may be the better question. I mean, John Gray has definitely taken a step back since he was the first or third overall pick. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. Who is that team building around now? Maybe is it Hoffman? Is that one of their big guys? I mean, at least in Philly, you can point to. All right, it's Crawford. It looks like it's Franco. Uh, Aaron Nola, who the pitcher who just came up, I and mean, you can kind of see the building blocks. And now with Nick Williams and Alfaro and the guys they've got, I don't know what they're doing in Colorado. I mean, it, it seems like Hoffman. I don't know what who they're building on now. Yeah, and, and Lemayhu was another guy that could have been dealt at the deadline and wasn't. He would have been a good sell, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. a lot just, of teams need a. You know, he's a great glove, even if his bat doesn't. Uh, doesn't translate completely, you know, outside of, I mean, I don't know, does, does Colorado really help his bat or is he just turned into a decent contact hitter that is still gonna, uh, you know, find holes now and then in, in other parks. So I guess that's the, the question for me. Um, but certainly second base is a, is a, a need for a lot of teams. Well, and he can slide over to short and pick it a little bit as well. If you needed to, as you know, in a pinch as well, I, I, yeah, like you like say, I agree. The Yankees would have been a perfect home for him, um, you know, instead of Dustin Ackley. Yeah, Dustin Ackley. I, well, I, yeah. See, it's funny. Gross. I like the Ackley. How much second base is he even playing right now? I, I haven't, just with him falling out of favor and Cano being there, I mean, uh, yeah. It's funny. I like the Ackley gamble, but I thought they gave up too much to take that gamble on. I mean, they actually gave up legitimate prospects. Yeah. If you're going to make that deal, make it, but you're just taking on the salary because you're the Yankees and... All right, if he hits, great. If he doesn't, then nobody remembers this deal in two years. But I, I don't know. that The Yankees are another team. I mean, you know, we need to probably cut it off here. But they're another team that I thought was very strange, this trade deadline. They've been out producing their, you know, win expectancy. They're six games up in the division. You see t- Toronto making big deals, and then they go out and get Dustin Ackley. Just seemed um, very, very odd to me. Yeah. Um, the other odd trade um... – for me was the uh, loss deal to the Cardinals. I mean, obviously he fills um, the position of knee that's being left um, with the Matt Holiday injury, but uh, giving up Kaminsky, you know, seemed so steep for, um, you know, an extra win. Well, I, I, I was reading, uh, I can't remember where it was. Oh, I think it was, um, let's see. Anyway, I was reading that he'll be about a win, uh, a win over the uh, above replacement over the remainder of the season, um, but giving up uh, such a high flying pitching prospect. I mean, he was rated so high by Baseball America coming into the season. Uh, giving him up for for a win over replacement at you know first base and in the outfield just it seems pretty strange. Yeah, and with you know Adam Lynn didn't go, and it felt like there were some other names that they could have gone out and gotten. That felt like an awfully steep price. I know maybe Kaminsky has got some warts and he's not having the best of seasons, but he still looks like a number four or a number five pitcher, and he was a former first-round pick two years ago, I believe. 
Yeah. And to see him go for a guy that's batting, I don't know, 212 or whatever it is. 217, 212, yeah. yeah, something like that. And, he, you know, he's hit a few home runs, and, yeah, I guess he can play left field is why they preferred him, and he's under contract for next year. But, I mean, he does feel like the kind of a Cardinals guy who's going to go and produce and hit, you know, eight home runs down the stretch, and we're all going to be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hate those guys again. But it still feels – he doesn't have a platoon, real platoon weakness. He hits righties and lefties about the same. So that's that's always valuable. He's just not that good. No, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> he hits them the same. Maybe that's damning with being phrase. I, I just I thought that was a pretty steep price for a. I'm surprised they think he can be a win above replacement upgrade the rest of the season. That that seems high to me, frankly. So yeah, see, the first time in a while, I looked at a Cardinals trade and just said, "What what is happening? Like what?" What's going on here? Um, and I loved the C-Shack deal. I mean, what a great buy low. The guy was a great pitcher. At least he, you know he's going to get righties out with that motion. And Broxton, you know, the, the numbers look awful, but they didn't give up much. He's pitched well in the past. It's just, those, like you say, those deals made so much sense. And then the Moss deal, you're kind of sitting there saying, hmm, I don't get it. I wonder if it was a yeah. – because uh, Holiday had just gone down. I, I wonder if maybe it was a little bit of panic setting in, having the best – uh, record in baseball and looking at the playoffs and seeing the lineup without him and just kind of, you know, whether it was fully, I mean, I'm sure it was fully reasoned, but. And, uh, and sometimes you can only, a, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Just whether it was a bit of a snap, a snap decision to address that, um, that immediate weakness that, that caused them to overpay a little bit. Well, and sometimes when you're trading from an area of depth, you know, you can only say, well, we're not going to trade these six, seven, eight, nine, or nine, nine, ten names. Sooner or later, you got to say yes to something or else the deal doesn't happen. So, yeah, it makes sense. So, all right, guys, um, I, we could, you know, we haven't even covered, you know, a third of the teams in baseball and the trade sure. deadline, but uh, I, I think we need to cut it off here for the audience and for the pooch that's, uh, sounds like you need some Sorry, food. Sorry, do that again. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I'm, I'm a dog. The animals at the gate. But uh, I want to give both of you guys a chance to say goodbye to the audience, uh, your Twitter handle, uh, where else besides Banish the Pen they can find you, and all that good stuff. So uh, we started with Matt first time. Let's start with Nick this time. Uh, my name is Nick Strangis again. I am at Caps Orphans on Twitter, and hopefully we'll be back in the saddle with Banish to the Pen again soon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I hope to see you uh, writing a bit more frequently because uh, you do some very, very good work. So. Thanks for joining us tonight. That was uh, definitely good to hear your perspective. Uh, Matt, kind of same thing. Say goodbye. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me again, Ryan. And uh, Ken back there, who will, I'm sure be editing this. Thanks for the <laughs> invite. Um, and uh, you can find me at, at Jack Santagu, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-T-A-I-G-U, um, or writing on uh, Beyond the Box Store or uh, Royals Review on the SB Network. Yeah, definitely uh, follow Matt and check out his work. Uh, big fan of his stuff, both at Banish to Pen and, and definitely Beyond the Box work. Big fan of your work. So uh, thanks, guys, both of you, for joining me tonight. I thought we did a great job covering the trade deadline. Um, goodness, there was so much meat on that bone. It would have been tough to uh, try to do anything in an hour. But uh, I think we covered it pretty well. So thanks, guys. I look forward to having you back on the show uh, here in the near future. Thanks, thanks a lot. So much, great guys. talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Ryan. Sure. Good talking to you guys. And that was episode 29 with Matt Jackson and Nick Stranches. Thanks, guys. I think that was a, a great hour of radio right there. I think we crushed it. So good job. 
Uh, I'd also like to thank everyone involved with Banish to the Pen, the writers, contributors, technical staff, everybody behind the scenes, everybody who's writing, and, and everybody that's participating. Um, a lot of labor of love, a lot of hard work going into this uh, project, both the podcast, the site, and most in particular the site, frankly. So thanks to everybody who uh, is putting in so much hard work. This episode is a wrap. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter, reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners. <laughs>